0: Hi everyone, welcome to She's Got Drive. And on today's episode, we have Julie Wenner. I'm so happy to have Julie with me today and with us um, for a while. I met Julie just, well, I wanna say about six weeks ago, maybe, (laughs) something like that. And, And we completely just connected immediately. She's such a wonderful woman. So let me just I'm going to do an introduction just to share something about you Julie and then um and then we can get right into the exploration about you know how you got to where you are today and maybe what's next for you as well a bit of that. So Julie previously served in the Obama administration as counselor and policy advisor at the US Department of Commerce where she led the president's manufacturing initiative around the regional collaboration and building strong manufacturing communities. Prior to this, Judy served as a special assistant to the General Counsel at the Department of Commerce. And during her time at the Commerce, she traveled on the Secretary's West Africa Trade Mission connecting US and African businesses. Prior to joining the Department of Commerce, she worked at the White House as an associate for the President's boards and commissions and advanced domestic and international trips for the First Lady Michelle Obama. Ms. Wenner began her experience at the White House as an intern in the First Lady's policy shop, working on healthy eating initiatives, military families, and mentoring. Previously, she worked for NASA as a legal fellow on intellectual property and K-12 STEM education. Ms. Wenner is an advocate of mentoring youth and previously mentored with the White House Leadership and Mentoring, mentoring Initiative. That was a mouthful, sorry. thank you so much that is an extraordinary resume um so tell us how welcome 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 thank you shirley and tell us how you got to be working at the white house i mean that is actually (laughs) probably the question that you're asked the most and certainly the question that most listeners going well how did you get there and um, yeah and how do you feel now having left
1: yeah no so you know um you know first and foremost thank you so much for having me Shirley I'm so happy to be a part of um your podcast and this series and uplifting women and the work that they're doing um you know the White House was you know in '07. I remember Barack Obama announcing himself to run for president I was never a political person by any means um but it was something about him and it was something about her. And I said, I'm getting on the campaign. So I was in my first year of law school. I was working on the campaign. They got an office and I said, Great. So now I'm gonna go study for finals. I never had any dreams or thoughts of working in the White House. I just wanted to help them get there. So um my uh I had a teacher. I was getting I got my law degree and my master's at the same time. And my teacher on my master's program, he said, you know, have you ever thought about um Interning at the White House, and I was like, "They have internships," and he was like, "Yeah, uh, my my statistics professor, which was one of my favorite classes. Most people don't like mathematics, but I'm a lover of math." And I said, "Well, let me apply. I didn't know they had it, so I applied for the internship." Um, and I always have to share this part because. You know, we can say and we can think that we are the ones who are responsible for our lives. I mean, you have choice to an extent, but honestly, you know, it was God who got me there. You know, I missed the interview. The White House called me to interview me. They left me a message on my BlackBerry then. I missed the interview. I got the message a week later and I called them back. And I was like, I am so sorry. I missed this, you know, miss this voicemail. And the woman on the other line, who would then be one of my uh, soon bosses, she said, mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, you know, my Blackberry's been having issues. And, and she said, um, you know, we interviewed other people. I said, I, I completely understand. Thank you for considering me and even, you know, giving me the opportunity, right, to be considered. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and we still hired you. So if you clear secret service, we'll see you in a month and a half. And I I was driving on the freeway. I remember almost running into the shoulder of the freeway because I was like, what? And I think, you know, God needed me to know that I'm putting you in D.C. for a reason. And everything that's to come is as a result of me. So just trust me. And um, so I ended up interning for her. But that came with a lot. Not interning for her per se, but my whole experience in D.C. You know, my dad... Months later, ended up being diagnosed with stage four cancer, mm. and um, he had just come back into the United States after twenty years. Months before, um, so for him to come back and start this new life and be diagnosed, and I was about to quit the internship, quit like quit everything, and he said, "No, finish through. You know, you're a winner. You got to finish." You know, um, so I finished that and the mathematician in me said, well, Julie, okay, you know, you're used to doing things in numbers, right? One plus two is three or, you know, um, or, you know, 0.5 plus 2.5 is three, right? You may have different ways to make that same equation. So I said, okay, Julie, graduate, take the bar, get a job, pay for chemo, your dad will be cured. That is literally how I processed. Um, And I, I graduated. I took the bar. Then the First Lady's office called me and said, we want you on the road for us. So I go on the road. Uh, the, the work you spoke about earlier, advanced work, is when you travel before a principal to set everything up for them so that when they come, it's smooth sailing, and they know exactly mm-hmm. where they're going and um, what the extent of the event is. And I was planning an event in Mayport, Florida, for um, military family in the Navy, celebrating 150,000 veterans being hired. Wow. Yes, and... Um, it was a seven-day trip. On the first day of the trip, I do the work. I go back to my hotel room, and I get a call that my dad had passed away. Oh. And I remember thinking to myself, "Well, God, what kind of trick is this? Like, I did everything in the equation. I, I, I graduated. I took the bar. And I, the first day, the first day of the job, I can't even get a check yet, you know. Mm-hmm. And my dad dies. Like, I, I don't need. I didn't even have the capacity to even help him before he passed away. Um, So I remember going to my room crying every night. I didn't tell a soul on the trip that my dad passed away. At this time, my dad was back in Nigeria. And um, so the funeral was, you know, going to be several weeks out. And, um, you know, they found out at the end, they were like, your dad died and you were here working, you know, um, and I just... You know, I didn't want anyone to treat me differently. So I could just come to my hotel room at night and cry then go back to the job the next day and do it and do it well because it was my first opportunity to show myself. Right, um, right. So, you know, that led to, you know, a couple of things. I I later, um, you know, ended up kind of not having a job, like a permanent job, because the advanced job is like a, you know, it's um like an on-call type of job. And then you're only paid per diem. So you're really doing it for free, but I mean, it's great. You get a free flight somewhere, a free hotel. You get to experience a different city, state, right. country. So I am I was always grateful. And I would, you know, if my per diem was like $50 a day, I would just like use $5. I'm like, I'm going to go to the, the, you know, the dollar menu at McDonald's. I'll eat a fries in the morning. You know, like, I know it sounds crazy, but this is how I lived and saved my money. Um, and then I ended up getting the associate role at the White House. Um, but that was an unpaid job, too. You know, um, and did that for almost a, a year and a lot of faith. You know, Shirley, I um, you know, I, I know, I know the question is, how did you get to the White House? But it was, you know, it was it was multi-layer. You know, I was living off of you know, ten dollars, ten fifteen dollars a week for groceries. So I'd eat rice and beans every single day um, with canned tomatoes, and I would eat a bagel in the White House every morning. And Miss Missy, she's so sweet. She was, She's the woman who um, works in the, the uh, cafeteria there. It's called Eisenhower's, or we call it Ike's for short. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I couldn't even afford cream cheese. And she would let me, she probably wasn't supposed to. She goes, you know, I know you're struggling, baby. You know, and she would let me make it because I'd, I'd be like, I don't want to eat this dry bagel. Like, you know, like, but cream cheese costs an extra 35 cents. And and um, I was commuting from a place called Fort Washington, Maryland, an hour and a half each way. So after my dad died in August, um, I failed the bar two months later. And I mean, like failing the bar was nothing compared to losing my dad, but it was right, just, right. I need to study for this exam again. So I was, I would study on this hour and a half bus each way, right, three hours a day. I would study on the bus and the community, Fort Washington, a very black community, it's an African-American community. And the women on the bus, they, they got to know me. They say, shut up. You know, Julie studying up for that bar exam. You know, so shout out to the women on the P19 and the P17. Oh, my gosh. Because they would literally, or, or they would bring me something different. Like, I brought you, you know, here's an orange. And, you know, like, they knew, but they didn't take pity on me. Like, I was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they right. knew. They knew I was struggling. And I then began to value fruits and vegetables. Because that stuff costs. When you have $10, you're like, what's going to last me? Rice, a bag of rice will last you, canned tomatoes will last you, and black eyed peas will last you. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to yearn to taste a grape or, you know, to eat broccoli because I couldn't afford it, you know. And my mom, she was like, Julie, please come back, come back. Why are you struggling, you know? And I was like, Mom, you know, to go back to the beginning of the story, I was like, God got me here. I have to honor that. You know, like there's a reason why He wants me here. And I'm just trying to honor that, you know. And then, um, you know, several months later, I passed the bar and, um, I ended up doing another event for the first lady the next day. So she's getting out of her car, you know, and I'm walking her upstairs. Now the stairs are very narrow. They're metal stairs. So I'm walking her up. So she's behind me and I'm telling her what she's about to do. I'm like, so madam you're gonna, you know, I'm like talking like this, looking behind my shoulder, trying to talk to her because the person she was going to greet was right inside the door. Right. Grab my shoulders. I was like, is she falling? I didn't know what was happening. She started shaking me. And she goes, I heard you pass the bar. I heard you pass the bar. And I was like, it took me everything to not burst into tears, right? I didn't want to, like, think about it. She's traveling. She has secret service agents. She has her right hand with her. You know, she has staff. And I was like, if I start crying, this is going to be awkward. But I won't cry um, because, you know, she lost her dad after she graduated law school. Mm. You know, she failed the bar the first time. She knows what it's like to fail it and then pass it. You know, so it meant not because she's Michelle Obama. I mean, she's fabulous, but because she's someone who had the same experience as me and she's proud, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it meant everything to me and in the, in the moment, she didn't know all that, but to me, it meant everything that I almost broke into tears, but I was just like, yes, ma'am, I'm going to have, yep, I'm going to go. She's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I was like, I'm just going to go to Houston and celebrate with my loved ones. I kept it super professional. I was like, she probably thinks I'm a robot because because I was trying to, you know, I was aware of where we were, you know, and she had interrupted the flow by, you know, and I know that we're on a strict timeline. So it's like, I didn't want to be disrespectful of the space and what she was set to accomplish by focusing on me. All of my April showers, I started to have these May flowers, you know, then I moved in closer into town and, um, you know, was able to get a job at night at a hotel. Uh, But then a couple months later, I ended up getting uh, appointed at the Department of Commerce Office of General Counsel. Um, And then from there, I went uh, to another role at the Economic Development Administration, getting to lead one of the president's manufacturing initiatives. Wow. Um, And and it's crazy, you know, um, because I was like, wow, like, I was this intern five and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. Only in an administration like this, in the Obama administration, can someone really work their way up from intern, policy intern, to counselor and policy advisor for a manufacturing initiative touching millions of people across this country from Seattle, Washington, to Portland, Maine, to San Antonio, to all corners of this country. Um, So it was super emotional. You know, the last day that we saw them off on January 20th after they left President Trump and Melania Trump, they came to us at Andrews Air Force Base and they said their final farewell to us and said, you know, it has been our honor serving you. You know, thank you for serving us to serve this nation. And that was probably one of the most emotional experiences. I remember just sitting in the um, because I was like on the second row. And I mean, tears were just flowing from my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure the first lady looked at me like, okay, stop crying. You know, but I couldn't help it. You know, right. she's she's scanning the, fr- the, the front and, and I was just crying. I was like, this is really, this is really over. Um, this is really over. Um, so, you know, I am super grateful for the opportunity to have served the American people. Um, I took that job very seriously, even as an intern, you know, even as an unpaid whatever. Right always took my job seriously as an intern, and I think that's what led me to having these opportunities. You know, I stayed late as an intern. My my boss, she would say, Jocelyn Fry, she would say, aren't there things the interns are doing, like hanging out or like, you know, I don't know if, you know, doing stuff, and I was like, yeah, but I only have this internship for like this amount of months, so I just want to help you as much as I can because this is my finite time to help this administration. So I'm gonna, every second I got, I moved to D.C. for this. What am I going to do? Just hang out? I can hang out with friends in Texas, you know? So, um, yeah, so that was pretty much my experience to the White House. Wow. Um, and it's it, it was quite, it was the most beautiful ride I've ever experienced in life, for both personally and professionally.
0: Given the loss of your dad, given how hard it's it was in the beginning of your time at the White House in as an intern and then doing the do you say the advance program? Mm-hmm. Um, that you were working for free and then having to work at night and working demanding it's demanding work, you know, it's free work, but it was demanding work. Um what are you relying on in those moments? And then studying for your bar again, um, having having not past all of that, all of that happened, happened in a short space of time. What are you relying on to keep yourself going?
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was very difficult. I think the one thing that I had to hold on to was my faith and God's word and God's promise. You know, before I went to my internship, my dad had written me this beautiful letter and in the letter he had, um, yeah, he was just preparing me for the internship, but I never opened it because I just got busy with the internship, In excuse. Not, I didn't get a chance to open it until after he passed away. And I, when I got to the letter, even before I opened it, I remember bursting into tears, like how insensitive of me to not have opened this, to not have shared it with him. And I, I even remember him texting me like, hey, did you get a chance to read the letter? And I was like, oh, I haven't yet, Dad. I was just so busy. Um... You know, and in the letter, he was giving me all of these positive affirmations, you know, telling me that God showed him, you know, that me and my sister were what he called access for him in this world, that we were going to do amazing and phenomenal things. But he wove the word of God into it. So he wove in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to Uh, prosper, right, and not see harm. And, um, you know, these were the things that kept me, you know, I come from a very faith-filled home. Um, I remember one time it was, I think it had to have been March, I had just taken the bar exam. And, you know, I'm looking for a job now, Um, anything to pull me closer from commuting three hours a day Mm -hmm. to the White House and spending $8 a day on transportation. I only had $50 a week. So most of it went to transportation and the other 10 to 15 was for, um, food. So, you know, there, then there wasn't like a Walmart that I could run to to go get a pair of dollar stockings. I'm from Texas. I, I say I'm Southern. A lot of people say that's not the South. The South is Georgia, but I, I claim to be a Southern girl from Southeast Texas. And, um, you know, I couldn't afford a pair of stockings. So I remember getting off work early from the White House and um, I went to Macy's because that's the only place you could get stockings. And I said, well, at least I can go to Macy's and, you know, like put my hands in the stockings and see if it's my skin tone and all of that. And I was just standing there looking. I was like, I don't have $12. That's a whole, that's a whole week's worth of groceries for these stockings. And I started just kind of chatting up the sales lady. We're just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze and, Um, an elderly black woman walked up and she had two pairs of stockings and she was trying to understand They, they had a special at the time it was like buy two pairs of stockings and you get one for free And the lady, you know, the sales clerk was trying to explain it to her, and she couldn't quite understand. So then I said, "Yeah, well, when you buy your two, I get mine for free." And then we all started laughing. And then the lady started asking me questions, like, "Are you in school? So what are you doing?" And I was like, "Well, I just retook the bar," and you know, I'm telling her, you know, I'm interviewing for a job. And yeah, so we just started talking. And she's talking about where you go to church. So we're just talking about the Lord. And then she says, "Well, go get your pair of stockings, baby, so we can go." And I just remember being so emotionally overwrought in that moment because I know it's something small as stockings, but I was like, God will always provide Julie. He will always provide. And it was such a heavy moment to remind me that God is still present. He is still there in the midst of the storm. And I knew that when I came out of all this that I was going to have a testimony that I could share with people that could impact people that could maybe make people say me too. And that's why I think what you're doing is so important. We have to be, you know, curators of content around storytelling and sharing our experiences because we can be, we can be so hidden and want to put on the face that, well, I've got it all together and I've always had it together. Um, But really being open and vulnerable to share our experiences can shapes, completely shape and revamp someone else's life. And isn't that why we're really here to impact one another on this, you know, beautiful thing we call life on this earth at this time. Um,
0: That's so powerful because, I mean, that is exactly one of the reasons why I'm doing this, that, um, in listening to someone else's story to our uh, with these, the women who are on she's got drive story that they can, someone who's listening can say, I can do that. Or, Oh, I'm struggling right now. It's okay because it doesn't mean I'm always going to be struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can, I, I, I can surround myself with people who will be for me mm-hmm. or, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes I speak about the moments when, the hope is a small light, it really is a tiny light, but it is a light. And then I can set my sight on that light, however small it is, you know, in these days, when we have some, the environment is has some tragic things happening. And there are days when I think, Oh, my God, the hope is tiny today, right? Given the news, or given something I've read, or something that's happened in someone's life that I care about. I think the hope is tiny today, but there is a hope. Right, and and so uh, I definitely want that from people as they hear uh, the women's fascinating amazing stories and yours too so at what point if you think about that then and how you started um, at what point would you say that you've achieved success what does when what point did you say oh I'm successful I'm being successful Mm -hmm. and maybe it might help to define what you mean by success because it it's different for different people
1: for me you know um because my dad was taken away at such a young age my mom was a single parent in a country that she barely understood trying to raise two girls and you know my drive was my definition of success was escaping taking my family out of poverty that's what success meant for me didn't it didn't mean um you know buying a lamborghini making sure i have the gucci bag it didn't that those that's not what success was for me success was escaping poverty as quickly as fastly as 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 quickly and as legally as possible Mm -hmm. right because in the community we once lived in everyone wasn't trying to escape poverty legally um so that that's my defini- dis- definition of success. So with that, the moment I moved, you know, helped move my mom out of an impoverished community was when I really felt success. I was like, "Wow, we are now successful. We are no longer, you know, living in that space anymore, you know, and it made everything that I've done to this point worth it. So I really had to be laser focused to reach that level of success so that I could, you know, help move my family into a better neighborhood. Um, and that's probably one of the most, um, proudest things. One of the things I'm most proud of, you know, being able to take my mom and see her face and say, you know, (laughs) she was like, never in this America. Did I think I would live in a house? And then like, I was just like, okay, well, like we don't own it, but you know, but like, you know, but she was like happy, you know, um, like, that's what I do it for, you know, my only, I don't want to say regret, because the regret is something you have an opportunity to do, but I wish I would, I wish I could have done this for my dad, you know? I mm-hmm. hadn't began anything, he he didn't even, at least my mom is getting the fruits of her labor, my dad didn't, you know, and that's my only, like, um, you know, the only thing that's a little painful, um, but I feel like he must, he must get it somehow, um, earlier you spoke about me going, Um, to the West African Trade Mission uh, with Secretary Penny Pritzker. Um, It was in Nigeria in my family's home land. And when I tell you, um, you know, I brought a picture of my dad with me and his twin sister, who is my namesake, Julie. Um, I brought a picture of them with me. And I was like, I'm bringing my dad to Nigeria with me. You know, this is after he's passed. But it was such a heavy experience because um, here I am a Nigerian-American going to Nigeria on behalf of President Obama to talk about how we build better ties between the United States and Nigeria. I was like, if this is not my father, not my father in heaven, but my father who was on earth, who is now in heaven, I know that he was right there next to the throne like Jesus, Jesus, Father God. My daughter, Julie, this trade mission thing that's coming up, can you just please let her go? And, and not, not only did I go... The secretary put me in her speech and, and used me as the example of U.S. and Nigeria merging. She talked about me for a whole pa- and then mentioned my father, you know, and then the Houston Chronicle did a story on it. You know, a, a newspaper I grew up, you know, seeing my dad work for and and roll the paper up in the morning, stuff it in the plastic and throw it before he went to school. You know, so it it was very, very heavy, very heavy for me. Um, So I feel like in that way he gets to enjoy his fruit, albeit in heaven, you know?
0: And also, (laughs) it also reminds me of some of the contents of that beautiful letter that he wrote where he really already seen that you, you being at the white house was representing him and your family. And sometimes um, we don't always see that, that the, our notion of what success would look like for our parents is different from their notion of when they feel like maybe their proudest moment had arrived—that you were there. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. Maybe it maybe it is maybe it isn't um, that you were able to um, financially give him something back. Maybe yeah. really you'd given him a, a lot back um, and you just being there. Yeah, that's very that.
1: true. That's very true. You know, he was a very traditional Nigerian man who, you know, you know, we're, you know, believing that your name, your name is strong. You know, so I'm that's why I'm so proud of my last name. I'm so proud of, you know, my family and where I come from and, and the people who are a part of my family, um, on both sides. Um, so I try to, you know, make sure I carry that along with me you know Um, I know it's it's I was talking to a friend of mine who's also Nigerian-American and um, she uh, works in the financial industry in New York and she was sharing with me how someone was having a hard time pronouncing her first name Um, my first name is very British Mm -hmm. um, um, but her first name um, is Nigerian more so Nigerian name and you know, she had to tell her manager, like, look, it's pronounced like this. And you keep saying this. And I'm hoping that you can pronounce it correctly. And I, I you know, I always think that's important, you know, that you you demand that someone pronounces your name correctly um, um, because it's your name. It's who you are, um, no matter where you're from, you know. But I know that's something that my family and my dad um, and my paternal side take very, with great pride, with great pride.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes, I know that I've experienced many times where someone has makes it easier for the other person, mm-hmm. um, rather than as you said, teaching someone to say your name. What they do is they say, well, "Oh no, no, it's okay. You can just call me Addie. Exactly. <laughs> or you can call A- me Mike. Right. <laughs> well, your name's not Mike. Why, right. So why are you saying that? Um, and rather than and, and in that moment, we give up some of our own identity and some of our own power. That is correct. Versus us insisting, no, say my name. Right. This is my name, and I'm. I'll spend as long as it takes to help you <laughs> pronounce <laughs> awesome. it. But you know, say my name, and I and I th- and I'm always. I always pause and 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 ask. That question, how do you pronounce your name if it's a name that I'm unfamiliar with? Because I I recognize how important that is too. Which is landing for you as your biggest accomplishment so far?
1: Hmm, biggest accomplishment so far. So there's there's like good and bad in what I'm about to say. Um, My biggest accomplishment is if my mom needs something or my sister needs something, Um, I can be there for them to support them, you know? Um, If there's some sort of emergency, like, you know, we didn't grow up with, like, an emergency fund or we didn't grow up doing family vacations, you know? I mean, I will say that's one thing that has been a very big accomplishment, like being able to take my mom somewhere.
0: I have to ask what it's like to work with Michelle Obama (laughs) and Barack Obama, President Obama, because you know, I remember I think I joined the crew of people who when they when they went into the White House was like, look to that plum book, you know, the plum book which had all yeah. the jobs in it, I was like, Oh my god, I've got to get a job at the White House. <laughs> but then of course I'm in the UK, I'm not a US resident, I'm not a U <laughs> I'm not a US citizen. I mean, there's the chances are like very slim at that point anyway. So what is it like to work with them and are they as they seem?
1: Yeah, no, it's um they are the real deal. You know, what you see is what you get. And um, you know, having an opportunity to work for her in her office was just, you know, an opportunity of a of a lifetime. You know, I feel very Special and lucky and humble to have been a part of supporting anything that she was doing because it was great work as well as the president um, You know, I remember When I did my first manufacturing conference um, They had had one the previous year and then I wasn't there but in the second year I You know wanted to do it all out. I made it a two-day conference um, They didn't even host it at the White House the first year I did one day at the White House, one day at Department of Commerce, because I felt like, you know, these are the president's communities. They should be exposed to the very building where the decisions are being made, where I go every other week to have meetings for these communities on their behalf um, with my partners and my federal partners. There were 14 different federal agencies working on this initiative. So after that conference, you know, I just implemented a lot of critical things that allowed um you know these manufacturing communities to get in front of federal partners um in a way that hadn't been done before, and I remember getting feedback from the president's um head of manufacturing and the National economic Council. He was like, "Great job, Julie. The president is very pleased like and I just remember being like, oh." He likes it. He really likes it. I was just so happy. I was like, the president likes it. just heard great things about it. You know, so I just remember being like, and this is, you know, not that you do it for approval or validation of the president. You do it for approval and validation of the nation, you know, and, um, but more than anything, the communities were touched. And I think that's something that resonated up to that level. Um, You know, in terms of working for the first lady, you know, getting an opportunity to, you know, um, you know, travel across the country and create experiences. I remember maybe two, three summers ago, I went to China for her and it was Xi'an, China. Um, and, um, uh, she was going to be visiting the ancient city wall and I was responsible for this event. And it was a very rare thing in that they basically gave me a blank piece of paper and was like, oh, do it how you want. I was like, wait, 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 wait. wait. I get to create this for her, her children, and her mother, like, so I can create this. I mean, they, they had a couple of things they wanted to do, but I could literally, I basically had a blanket, blanket slate. Most of the time, wow. an event, there's something happening. You know, she's going to speak here. She'll talk to these people. will do, like, there's an order, right? right. But this was the, the one thing that I got to do that was a blanket, a blank slate. So... We did like this huge greeting. I have to send you some of the photos. If you ever, if you ever see a photo of Michelle Obama jumping rope on top of a wall in China, that's my event. So wow. um, I basically said, okay, when she comes in at the bottom level, we'll do this. You know, they, they have this big welcoming ceremony, and they were giving her keys to the wall, right? The proverbial keys to the ancient city wall, you know. And then I was like, and then they'll go upstairs and. Um, I was like, then inside of the place, I'll have different art exhibits set up, you know, then I'll also have a room upstairs where she can, she just has downtime, right? Because it can get tiring. So I I thought of her from a professional and and cultural experience perspective, but then as a person, like, then I'll just have private time if she wants and I'll put snacks, snacks up there. I brought you know, cookies that and things that I think that she likes, you know, like creating that personal experience, the things that I know that she likes in America, that she, you know, because she's been traveling in Asia, so maybe can't doesn't have access to whatever type of items they are. Um so I brought those things along with me, right? Just in case. Um and I remember I saw her eating the cookies I brought. I was like, yes, <laughs> creating experiences. Like, like well, who has these cookies? Where'd they come from? You know, I brought them with me. In anticipation that you know she may want to feel for home, right. you know, um, and she did go up there and, and was able to have her downtime. And then I was like, then we'll come back outside, and you know, I'll have little kids playing hacky sack, and you know, showing. And then I'll have this kite organization showing the importance of flying a kite to the to the East Asian culture and what that means in China. And then I'll have a set of jump rope. I'll have kids double dutch, and you know, I'm no pressure, no pressure. She doesn't have to jump rope. But then she took off her heels and she put on her flats and she jumped rope and everything. Nice. And the picture was gorgeous. Um, So, you know, being able to do stuff like that and create experiences and and then to get feedback, you know, that's like, you know, I appreciated it. Like that was an amazing stop or, you know, that that made me feel good because at the end of the day, I'm trying to support her in um, her mission mm-hmm. in 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 um girls education in healthy eating in serving our military families who serve us so it was really truly an honor and i mean she's just a she's just a real person you know who really cares about people who is you know an involved person you know um involved in in, in what what's happening you know i'm not You know, I I don't know how other first ladies have operated. I've only been privy to one. But, you know, I can imagine a lot of principals just saying, you know, just give me the speech and I'll just read it. Right. Right. Like, just do it for me. But she's not that kind of person at all. She wants to be involved and, you know, contribute. And, well, you know, maybe if I get a kid to introduce me and, you know, like cares, you know, it's not just like I'm a principal. Just give me this thing. And I I think that's a very beautiful and real thing. She just makes you want to strive to be better and um i am grateful to have had the opportunity to work with her for her and um and for the people in, in and with the people in her office
0: what did you learn about yourself as you watched them lead you know what did you discover
1: that i i need to be more aggressive
0: in what way
1: you know um i not in a not in a not in a like you know take charge pound your fist kind of way mm-hmm. but I tend to be, you know, and, and some of these trips, I can tend to be super deferential, particularly when we're in another country. Because I never want us to come across as the Americans. The Americans are here trying to tell us what to do. So I remember having a situation abroad where um, you know, someone I had, you know, someone had just come on the scene and I was like, look, you're just getting here and my boss arrives in 30 minutes. Let me give you the rundown, but I'm gonna need you to fall back cuz I've been here for 10 days working on this and you just showed up 10 minutes ago and mm-hmm. she's coming in 30 you know but instead of this person falling back like they said they were they ended up inserting themselves as I was briefing my boss and the other principal that was present they kept inserting themselves and instead of me like saying like excuse me ma'am if you could just give us a moment this is what we're doing now if you could step outside like I could have handled it in a way where I put her out of the situation, but I just tried to ignore her. Um, so I later kind of learned, and then my lead ended up like telling that person, you know, Julie's been more than kind. You need to stop. You know, we're not going to, we really frown upon this, but my lead is someone who was used to dealing in these protocol matters. So this is her day job. So she's used to handling different countries, you know, um, on a day-to-day basis. But I was trying to be super aware of being Americans in another country and not wanting a sense of we're here to take over. Right. Um, so it's, you know, striking that fine balance and being aggressive and, you know, um, putting your foot down, but Mm -hmm. it's, again, it's the how it's how you do it. Right. Right. It's not what you do. Um, so I just remember cringing in that moment because I was like, I know the first lady can see what's happening right now. And I am not this person, but I, but if, But if I'm disrespectful to this person, will the other person from this country then get upset? And then it causes an issue larger. You know, so these are the things I was thinking through as this woman was inserting herself. I was like, oh, I can put her in her place. But then how does it make my boss look? Right. How does it make the country look? Do we look like those people? And I don't want to be those people. Um, So So this
0: finding the balance between cultural sensitivity and being firm and assertive and intentional.
1: Absolutely. With
0: people. Um, Absolutely. But as you can hear, I can hear you managing in the moment, how we get stuck in the complexity of, of our indecision. Right. As well, like,
1: oh, right. what to do. And it. then someone's reporting you on camera. So then there's that too. So you're like, wait, what's just too much going on right now? Right. You know? Right,
0: right, right. Less- Good lesson learned though. Good lesson Good- learned. Oh, great definitely. lesson. Definitely, definitely. Is there anything that you wish that you knew before you started that you know now that if you knew it, mm. you would have had a different experience?
1: I think I wish I would have known that Washington DC can be very power driven. Um, I, I, I really thought, you know, I really moved up here with, I mean, rose-colored glasses, pollyanna Like, everybody's here to save the world like me. This I know. I was like, that's why we're all here. We're here to save the world. We are here to put on our capes and save this world, to save this planet. We're like Captain Planets people. That's us. Right. you know. Um, you know, but you then find out, no, some people are actually very power-driven. They just want to be in a place... Of power, they mm-hmm. might do the right thing for the wrong reason, right? Um, and that's that's possible. I didn't know that. I didn't know you could do the right thing for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that was a thing. You know, for me, as 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 we discussed earlier, my whole motive and goal was escaping poverty. That's it. Because I thought D.C. is the place where you go when you're trying to save the world. Right. That's what I thought when I came here um but but it's also a place for people to build themselves up and be super power hungry i mean so uh that's one thing i wish i would have we still
0: come- need people to be there wanting to save the world though it's true that's right? true you that's know true. if you're out there anyone want to head to dc right about now <laughs> um yeah we still need that but the um you know those moments of our wake up from our, our own naivety um or innocence isn't a bad thing, but it is, it, it, it it has us not see fully what's, what's really happening around us. But what I can see, what I'm getting from what you were sharing is that you had this focus. Your Mm. focus was I'm seizing this opportunity. I'm getting out of poverty. Yeah. Step out of my way. And even in the moments where you're like living, um, from dollar to dollar, you have your eye on a bigger prize, which is, I know this is gonna get me to a place where I can take myself, my family, my mother, my sister out of poverty. Yeah. I know I'm getting there. And so that's my focus. And it speaks to how, when we are, have the clear vision and we know where we're heading, the power of that to keep going. And even though, you know, the huge lessons were being learned along the way. That's Mm. amazing. Amazing.
1: You know, one of the things that I loved about my 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 most recent job, the Economic Development Administration, which Trump is trying to get rid of for some odd reason. um, But um, they did um, like senior management training where they had Gallup come in and uh, we did this kind of true colors assessment. And um, I I had never heard of True Colors before, but they're like three different, four different colors, blue, green, yellow, and and orange. And um, I'm a blue, which is like this very like emotional kind. Like they're like, how do people feel in the organization? How are we treating people? And like I realized that they said on average in many organizations, blue is a very rare color. That's right and i was so shocked it's mainly greens and yellows that you find in all organizations you barely find any blues and i remember being so shocked like oh okay that's why okay julie so just know that in life this is this is what it is you know my mom yeah you know, she always tells me she's like you know you know me and my dad are dreamers you know we my dad was a dreamer i'm a dreamer my mom and my sister are like more realists, mm-hmm. and my mom's always kind of like, "Look, Julie, some people are just selfish, you know a lot of people can be very self serving you know and and that's the world we live in, you know and i'm like and i don't I don't think like that you know i have I've literally sacrificed myself for other people. My dad literally you know is the definition of sacrificing himself for other people um you know so I realized that, you know, I I appreciate the opportunity as we talked about the very top of just being able to be introspective, but understanding that a lot of organizations don't have people like me, um, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I've got to continue to be who I am in that space.
0: Yeah. And how do you stay authentic to yourself then? Because, um, you know, when you speak about the, the, there's a number of people in DC who are power hungry, um, a number of, there are people who arrive in d c with not that intention, but can get sucked in, yeah, that very, very strong um environment, so what is it that has you stay authentic to who you are?
1: you know, um for me, it's um you know one, I stay grounded, I still talk to my friends from high school, you know mm-hmm. um you know i I have never been a person that's like because you're not you know i have very few pet, pet peeves about people in general um but like a couple of things i just can't do i can't do bullying and i can't do um people who treat other people who feel they can't do anything for them maybe because of their job or because of their um education um so those are like the, those are like my two non-negotiables in people right if you treat people less than you um because you perceive they have no impact or value to your life or secondly if you subscribe to bullying mentality those are like my two things so I still stay very tethered to people from high school from my old neighborhood um I mean I still talk to them I still hang out with them I know their children um you know they keep me grounded they keep me very grounded um so making sure I stay connected to people I knew before any of this is something that's very important to me Um, and also, you know, from a inside out perspective, I enjoy dance. I love to, I love ballet dance. I love hip hop dance. You know, anytime I can escape to New York city to go to Alvin Ailey to take their adult classes with Robin Dunn and finish Jung, that's what I do because those classes are amazing and they give me absolute life. Um,
0: You, you inspired me to go to Robin Dunn.
1: Oh, yeah, you did? I do totally
0: I? went... I went to two sessions. I thought I had rhythm before <laughs> I arrived. Her hip-hop class. And I struggled from the beginning to the end, people. I... Yes, it was ugly. That's all i got to say. I'm sure it was she not... She assures good. me that if I keep going... <laughs> everyone's saying, you're a Brit. What do you know about hip-hop dance? But <laughs> there's hip-hop in Britain. <laughs> there's totally... I can... But it was so funny. She's fabulous, Robin she Dunn. Is. If you ever want to do a class with someone at Alvin Ailey, she is fabulous. She I should is. have her on my show, actually.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. She was there when you know hip hop was. You know, she she was one of the people who was there when they started. You know, breakdance and bebop, like all that. She's one of those original pioneers of, of, of you know of hip hop dance. And then and then finally music. You know, I think there's so much power in storytelling. Uh, through bars and 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 really using lyrics to tell stories that's what people that's what artists are really doing right Mm -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. think about um and for me you know particularly it's hip-hop because I think hip-hop talks about coming from a particular struggle when hip-hop was created in the Bronx this is when you know all of the pioneers Grandmaster Flash or Herc you know, um, or African Bombada, you know, they're looking outside of their neighborhood, right? right? And they're looking at what's happening. They're like, okay, project housing communities are coming up. Drug is being pumped into our communities. People's mothers are dying. You know, men are going to jail, you know, so they're storytelling what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. And I think there's so much truth and power to storytelling what you're going through. Um, and I think there are a lot of artists now who are also doing the same thing. Um, so I think, you know, well, we look I, at
0: Chance I, the Chance, Rapper here in perfect. Chicago.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Chance, Chance the what rap, Chance the Rapper. There's another artist by the name of No Name. She's out of Chicago. And wow. No Name, she's she's an amazing rapper. She has a song called Casket Pretty. And in the song, she's talking about how all her brothers look casket pretty, like ready to go to the grave. And she's saying, you know, I hope you make it home. I hope to God that my telly don't ring, you know, and she's saying, you know, there's too many babies in suits. It's just such a sad song. Okay, and so she's sad. talking about her brother. She's praying, like, I'm praying I don't get a phone call that someone I know has been killed by gun violence. You know, I'm praying that another baby doesn't wind up in a suit and a casket, you know, Um but No Name was another artist that I found through Chance the Rapper. And she's just, you know, you know, Chance the Rapper recently blew up at the top of the year with the Grammys and stuff. No Name is one of those people as well. It won't be long before people know her name. Well, her real name is Fatima, but she goes by No Name because she's like, I want you to focus on my music. So I have No Name. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But Very another powerful. another brilliant Chicago. You guys just got them all in Chicago, man. I mean, seems
0: like the place to be people. <laughs> Maybe that's why I headed here. Yeah. And
1: look, Kanye West during his drop, you know, his college dropout days, um, you know, and then obviously Common. Common. Yeah, there's a whole crew. Yeah, there's a whole
0: crew. And the Obamas. The Obamas. We can't forget the Obamas. (laughs) And the Obamas. We can't forget the Obamas. We can't forget the (laughs) Obamas. (laughs) Um, Oh, I could keep going. I could keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there was. I wanted to like, I always ask this of all my um guests. If there were three things that you would say without which you would not be here today, what would those three things be? Mm. And it could be like ways of being, like strengths that you have, it could be people, it could be, you know, it does it could I say things, but I want to broaden the the notion of things like three I can't say any other way. The three things, but it's yeah. much broader than that.
1: Yeah. So for me, I think it has to be God, family, and music. And the reason I say music is because like when we were, you know, when we had really hard times, I used to listen to Jay-Z. Um, Jay-Z, you know, um, couple of songs he has a song called somehow some way you know we got to make it up out this hood one day and i would just like you know i think the song starts off it goes you know whether we dribble out of here or rap metaphor out of here or work at the hospital third floor like whatever we got to do to get out of here someday we're gonna make it out of here you know um you know so like listening to music is is something that um has allowed me to has allowed me the opportunity to identify with and relate to my story. So I remember somehow some way was a song I used to like listen to and he has another song. Can't think about it right now, but, but the, the lyric goes, um, it goes, I've seen the worst of the worst. I deserve every blessing I receive. I'm from the dirt, you know, or listening to Tupac's while the rose that grew from concrete, you know, and how he talks about, you know, um, no one would ask, why did this rose grow from concrete? Or they wouldn't say, look at the damaged petals on some rose. It would say, look at a rose that came out of concrete. Can you believe that happened? There was okay. no soil. There was no, there was a little bit of sun. There was hardly any water, but a right. rose grew out of the middle of the concrete. They're not going to be focused on the 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 the, 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 the petals and, and how it's not pristine, but the fact that the rose still grew. So those are the things, those lyrics, those words used to hold me, you know, like... Okay, Julie, like this is your motivation, you're gonna make it out. And maybe that's why I'm so drawn to music now and mm-hmm. and and am and, and in the and am currently in the space of creating content around hip hop and storytelling. And that's maybe why music, I identify with music so heavily because I grew up listening to it, saying, Yep, this is gonna be my story. Not that I was gonna be a rapper, <laughs> you no, know. But, right. But but this is gonna be my story. Like somehow, some way we're gonna make it out of here. I don't know how, but somehow, some way. Um, so I think those would be my three things. God and his word, my family, their encouragement and love. Um, unconditional love Mm -hmm. and and music, um, as a as a source of inspiration.
0: Yeah, wow. You know, one of uh, my other guests who's gonna be featured is um has spoke about music as medicine. Mm. And um so that's what comes up for me when you say that. the it's so inspiring to hear your story of coming from your background of poverty the struggle and then standing in the place where you are now strong successful um you know and I think it is important for us to continue to share our story you know i i notice you know when i when on my website you know when i took look at my bio it all has all the, all the things that I've achieved or, mm-hmm. you know, I send my buyout out to potential clients, but it doesn't say it, it doesn't, it never says I was born in East London, parents from the mm-hmm. Caribbean, you know, came to the UK for a better life, you know, struggled, they struggled that we mm-hmm. didn't have a huge amount of money and um, we don't hear that backstory. That's heavy.
1: Yeah. We yeah. We don't
0: hear the backstory and if it wasn't for, the gifts of my parents to me and my brother and my sisters and their hard work. I would not be sitting in Chicago right now today doing the work that I'm doing in the U.S. i S I'm very mindful of that. And so I'm, I I think it's so important for us to hear this and the music representing that, that, you know, there is a way. So if anyone's sitting there thinking I'm struggling today, there is a way that you can get out and it is our, I think one of the things I want this work to be is, about how do we lift each other up? Yep. How do we lift each other up and how do we continue to find ways out and forward, wherever, wherever the start point is. I mean, you could be being successful in an organization, but you're not leading that organization because there's not enough doing enough of us doing that. How do we lift enough up? All that you're sharing is so wonderful. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Um, What's next? That's a a heavy
1: thing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's a heavy thing you said right there, right? We color our bios with like all the positive accolades. We don't talk about the struggles. I mean, that's something for me to reflect on as I, you know, do what's next and and make sure that I include those components as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's heavy. That made me like pause for a second, like, wow, I don't think I've ever shared it in a bio setting, right?
0: No, yeah. maybe I should change my what's my website. I get to say wow, right. Hold on, I'm I'm pausing yeah. <laughs> what I just said. This is one of the moments as a coach. This is always when I'm a coach and I'm working with a client. There are times when we wherever the client's working on, and I say something, you know, um to that support that's to, in support of, or I pose a question to my client, and I have this thought like, oh, hold on, wait. That question would be really helpful for me, you mm-hmm. know how can I start to so that was one of those moments. I think I'm going to change my bio on my website <laughs> um I'm curious about what's what's next for you. You started to speak about um music and and storytelling, but do you have any other sense of where you might be going next
1: yeah, you know i um I am in the middle of creating um a platform around music and around hip hop music and how do we storytell with that and kind of decoding lyrics and storytelling through my experiences. Um, I want to be able to also start working with, you know, Music artists to talk about their music, right? Mm-hmm. What did you mean? I, I well, gosh, I wish I could sit down with Tupac and say, when you wrote "Keep Your Head Up," what were you thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to be able to sit down with artists and talk about where were you when you wrote this? What what space were you, and what were you going through, mm-hmm. you know? And and humanize the lyrics even more. Um, but but you know, I don't want to say selfishly, but I want to be able to insert the word of God into that as well. Um, and I think we're seeing that with artists that are coming out now, like Chance the Rapper. You know, and I've got a couple of things in the fire for a 9 to Um, So we'll see kind of what, what God wants there. Back in December, a group of friends and I, you know, I organized a trip to Marfa, Texas. Marfa is like this super remote desert place in West Texas, completely different from Southeast Texas. And um, we went glamping, right? So glamour meets mm-hmm. camping. And um, it was eight women, you know, eight African American women and uh, an Afro Latino woman, Afro Korean woman. And, um, you know, I wanted to kind of launch this music thing with them and, and share with them through music and poetry. Um, there's an amazing poet. Her name is Kibala. She has a book of poetry called Preparing My Daughter for Rain. And she talks about how do we prepare the next generation of women. Uh, looking at the body, the land, the heart, and the soul, Mm -hmm. you know, so I had all this poetry, right, about loving your body, about, you know, being good to yourself, about coming from the African diaspora, and not knowing where you're from, or um, there was this beautiful poem that said, the day we came across the Atlantic Ocean, the the ocean was filled with blood, I guess that's where we get our fear of water from, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking about how we have ancestral trauma as yes. as, as black women um, and how we carry that in everything we do. You look at all these women who are dying across the country, like power players. I'm thinking in D.C., Cassandra, you know, Cassandra Buds and Gwen Eiffel, like all these amazing black women at the top of their game dying at 50, 57, just young, super young. Right. And you're like, how? You know, and I think as black women, we carry a lot of stress, you know. I, I always say like the, the black woman's favorite three words, or I'll do it. You know, I will do it. Like I got it, I'll do it. I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 um, and and so I brought my friends together, not so that we could gripe and say, oh, you know, the man's trying to hold us. It wasn't like that, but it was a conversation to say we have we have healing to do, and we've got yeah. trust. So how do we deal with the trauma so we can go prepare the next generation of women for rain? You know, so I want to be able to still do work around that. This is something I did with my friends. So I sat them down. We had these conversations. You know, um, I organized the beautiful booklet for them with these poems and these lyrics that we reflected on and talked about. And I also wanted to expose them to different terrain. So we went to a glamping desert, then we went to Big Bend National Park around mountains and and forests, and then we went to White Sands, New Mexico, so just pure hills of white sand. So I wanted them to get different elements of nature, right? Because I think there's something said about getting away from technology and everything. You may oh, not yes. have service, but being present with the earth and everything that God has created, just being present with that and, and being in a space of conversation. Mm-hmm. And we had some heavy conversations and it was just beautiful. And then eventually I want to bring black men into the conversation to talk about how we can be better allies for one right. another because there's a lot of tearing down amongst black women and black men. Um, yes. and, and, you know, and I know a lot of black women don't feel supported by black men, right? right. So, ha- so having those candid conversations, not from a I'm attacking you perspective, but how do we, because we got people that we're, we're bringing into this world, we need to make sure that they're equipped and they're prepared and, and that we create the right environment. For them, you know, absolutely.
0: Um, I love everything that you shared <laughs> Everything. I mean, that whole you know the vision, the the healing that needs to happen is absolutely there. And I the the holding, the collective holding of of each other as women, the conversations that need to get had, the the way that we can we please take off the superhero please cape please and i speak to myself when i say that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's so much work to do um but how do we do it in a way that is healing and how do we um there's a there's a i'm trained in a in a methodology which is about understanding what is it that's in our background our ancestors that can get in the way of us being our best selves and how do we create movement again but also it is the strength from our ancestors yes. that supports us in being successful yes. at the same time. So it's, the, I, I, you know, if you're called to do that work, I'm so excited that you're called to do that work. It's, it's such needed work. I'd totally be in the middle of nowhere with you. With of other women. You know, <laughs> let's do this. I'm totally in a mountain. I'm, I'm there. I love a bit of glamping. Don't yeah. have to rough it too much. <laughs> yeah, not too much.
1: We didn't rough Don't it, it too much. We roughed, not too it much. Enough. We, we roughed it enough for one night and the next night we were in a hotel.
0: Okay, you see? It's just one yeah. night. I can stretch it to two, yeah, two, two or three. I yeah, can do two okay. or three. Two. I can do two yeah. or three. I, yeah. I've, I've, um, I've canoed down the Zambezi River once back in the oh, day. Yeah, and, yeah, and camped <laughs> under... A mosquito net yeah I've done that I've done that I was young at the time I'm a bit older now um this has been so wonderful I could keep going but I we we must stop I we well, not must stop we but time is time is of the essence now thank you so much for oh, all your pleasure. sharing and for your your vulnerability for your inspiration you. for I'm excited for you and your future and I want to thank you for all the work that you did on behalf of this country you know, I'm not a citizen, but I benefit from being here. And, um, and the, it's the privilege of having this conversation with you, that all that you gave, the hard work that you gave, and and for no, for no money, but much gain. I understand that, but it was a sacrifice nonetheless. Um, so I appreciate you, and I appreciate all that you've accomplished.
1: Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. And if I can just say one thing, I know your your um, listeners can't see this, but your microphone is so snazzy. I completely love it. It's like I know you guys can't see. Maybe she'll take a picture. But it's like this. You know how you have those beautiful rugs that you just want to rub your feet on because it's like super like furry and it's like. But it's like no, it's not a real animal. No animals were killed to make this. But it's like just super, super like you just like a cloud. I love your mic. Isn't I don't. It but it's so cool.
0: <laughs> oh, as they get to know me, they know I tell you I love all things that are beautiful. So even yeah. the mice gotta be beautiful. <laughs> really
1: beautiful. I love it. <laughs>
0: so, well, thank you again. Um, so is there a place where people can follow you or get in contact like if you got an Instagram account or yeah. anything like that? Or Yeah. So, What's your Instagram?
1: So my Instagram uh, is album mixtape one word, at album mixtape. Uh, they can follow it on Twitter, album and mixtape. And then um, uh, the website will be up soon and it's albummixtape.com.
0: Okay, great. So I will, um, I'm gonna put that in the show notes as well. Okay. So that you, they can go to the show notes and follow the link. And then of course, um, if you have any comments or if you feel inspired, anything that resonated with you and what Judy shared, please go to the website and go to shirleymccalpine.com where you'll see on my podcast page there'll be a place for comments we'd love to hear from you and anything that you've got anything that you're taking on in your own life as a result please 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 let us know i read all of the comments and there's also our facebook page as well you can share on our facebook page as well she's got drive facebook page and then We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again, Julie and Thanks, Shirley. Until, Thanks. until we, are we no doubt speak at some point in the future. Yes. Okay. Take care. You bye. too. Bye bye. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra voltolina Music by the awesome female band Blonde. If you want to connect with me, go online, follow me on Instagram at Shirley mcalpine Consulting. Or I'm on Twitter at Shirley McAlpine. You can always head over to our Facebook page, She's Got Drive. I'd love to hear from you there. If you're loving the show, why don't you subscribe on iTunes so you can get automatic downloads each week when a new episode is published. I'd love to you to give a review if you're feeling it too. And head over to my page on ShirleyMcAlpine.com. If you head over to the website then you can get a download of how to be a woman with drive. These are my top tips, having spent years coaching women on how to up their game, how to be more impactful, increase their presence. And so I've just put together some tips for you to take on your life. So head over to sholiemcalpine.com and you can get a free download when you sign up. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well.